Welcome. You're listening to sermon audio from Grace Bible Church in Cambridge, Ontario. At GBC, we're all about finding rest and relationship in God through gospel-centered worship, discipleship, and community. To learn more about GBC, check us out online at gbccambridge.com. Now here's Pastor David Robinson with a message from God's Word. We're thankful that you can be here this morning with us, that we have an opportunity to be together and uh, to hear God's word, um, to know that others are also listening and uh, sharing God's word with you so that we can do this in community. Uh, We do continue to pray for you. We trust that uh, you're feeling well. We trust that uh, you're encouraged. We trust that you've had opportunity to be an encouragement to others. And uh, this morning, what we're going to do is we're going to uh, begin with a word of prayer. We want to pray for you. We want to pray for our nation. We want to pray for opportunities to share the goodness of God. And then uh, we're going to look at Mark chapter 14, Jesus being in the hands of sinners. And after we travel through that, uh, there will be a few uh, moments where we just want to uh, encourage you after the message so once again, thank you for joining us. Somebody asked me if I had uh, was nervous about just doing this with nobody but Trevor uh, here, um, and I said, "Well, no, I, I'm, I'm not. I'm not nervous or anything like that." But one of the fears I think that I have is probably uh, an illustration that I share quite a bit or have shared quite a bit over the years is how I read books, um, and if you have been around for any uh, any period of time you'll know that I don't mind skipping to the end. And I sometimes wonder if I've shared that too much where somebody could uh, be in the video and they just want to see how it ends. And it's like, well, Jesus is resurrected or Jesus wins and um, you won't won't, uh, go through the rest of the chapters. That's probably uh, my greatest fear um, in doing this this morning. But anyway, I'm glad that we're together and I'm glad that uh, we have this opportunity to study God's word. So let's pray, and uh, then we'll commit this time to God. Our Father in heaven, we uh, come in these unique circumstances to you as our Father, as our shepherd, as our um, Savior, our Redeemer, our merciful and righteous uh, and humble uh, man of God, son of God. We come to you. Um, our wisdom, uh, seeking to be led by the Spirit. And so we want to thank you for being present with us even as we gather in uh, various places this morning. And we pray that you would be with uh, us as a church family, that you would keep us in your care, that we would grow in our faith and we would know that you are our peace, you are our quietness, you are our rest. We pray for those who may be struggling in various ways and ask that your comfort would come upon them. And this morning, we might know that we're in the hands of Jesus. We give you thanks that you are a sovereign God who reigns and rules. And we want to pray during this time that we would have opportunity to not only experience your comfort, but to be those who uh, enjoy the gift of your sovereignty and of your reign and your rule, knowing that you are our refuge, and you are the rock upon which we stand. So we pray together, we pray for one another, and we pray for our nation as well. We ask that you would uh, care, that your hand of grace and mercy would be upon us, 
and uh, that during this time there would also be opportunities for people to see their mortality but see that there is life everlasting in Jesus Christ. So uh, may you bless our time together. May we serve you well and may we um, then create opportunities in our lives to be an encouragement and to love others. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, I'm going to read uh, our passage this morning, and it is from Mark chapter 14. We're going to begin reading in verse 43, and I'll read to uh, verse 65. While he was still speaking, Judas, one of the twelve, suddenly arrived. With him was a mob with swords and clubs from the chief priests and scribes and the elders. His betrayer had given them a signal. The one I kiss, he said, he's the one. Arrest him and take him away under guard. So when he came immediately, he went up to Jesus and said, Rabbi, and kissed him. They took hold of him and arrested him. One of those who stood by drew his sword, struck the high priest's servant, and cut off his ear. Jesus said to them, Have you come out with swords and clubs as if I were a criminal to capture me? Every day I was among you, teaching in the temple, and you didn't arrest me, but the scriptures must be fulfilled. Then they all deserted him and ran away. Now a certain young man wearing nothing but a linen cloth was following him. They caught hold of him, but he left the linen cloth behind and ran away naked. They led Jesus away to the high priests, and all the chief priests and elders and scribes assembled. Peter followed him at a distance, right into the high priest's courtyard. He was sitting with the servants, warming himself by the fire. The chief priests and the whole Sanhedrin were looking for testimony against Jesus to put him to death, but they could not find any. For many were giving false testimony against him, and the testimony did not agree. Some stood up and gave false testimony against him, stating, We heard him say, I will destroy this temple made with human hands, and in three days I will build another not made by hands. Yet their testimony did not agree even on this. Then the high priest stood up before them all and questioned Jesus. Don't you have an answer to what these men are testifying against you? But he kept silent and did not answer. Again, the high priest questioned him. Are you the Messiah, the son of the blessed one? I am, said Jesus. And you will see the son of man seated at the right hand of power and coming with the clouds of heaven. Then the high priest tore his robes and said, Why do we still need witnesses? You have heard the blasphemy. What is your decision? They all condemned him as deserving death. Then some began to spit on him, to blindfold him, and to beat him, saying, Prophesy. The temple servants also took him and slapped him. You may remember last week we looked at Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane and we saw that uh, his disciples were very sleepy. And yet Jesus came and found them. Even as they were sleeping, uh, Jesus cared for them. But you may remember that at the very end, the verses before we just read in verse 43, 
Uh, Jesus said these words, Are you still sleeping and resting? Enough. The time has come. See, the Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Get up. Let's go. See, my betrayer is near. We read that uh, Jesus is going to be betrayed into the hands of sinners. And that's what we want to take a look at this morning. What does it mean for Jesus to be betrayed in the hand of sinners? Betrayal takes place when someone usually very close to you violates your trust. It is a violation of trust. Betrayal is deep, it's painful, and it's personal. It's when a trusted relationship is, is broken. And, and in some ways, depending on the relationship, some just do not recover from betrayal, or it takes a very long time to work through. There's examples of betrayal in Scripture. The first is Cain and Abel. You may remember the story when Cain invites his very own brother out into the field, and he attacks him and kills him. And then God comes to uh, Cain and he says, where is your brother? And this was his answer. He, he says, am I my brother's keeper? Imagine the, the hardness and the boldness of Cain to say that. Because yes, he was his brother's keeper. He betrayed him at the deepest level. He invited his brother out and, and he killed him. At minimum, you don't betray your brother. Certainly, you don't kill your brother. As brothers, we are to watch out for or seek to protect one another. Or you may think of Samson and Delilah. You know, it's a bit of a strained relationship, to say the least. And, but Samson still shares what we are repeatedly told that he never shared. He would not share the secret that his hair was the secret of his strength. But he tells his greatest secret... And she betrays him with this most personal information. Jesus is betrayed into the hands of sinners. And yet, when we see Jesus being betrayed into the hands of sinners, we see his great faithfulness and his costly love, giving us the assurance that he will never betray us, and he will never abandon us, and he will continue to love us. So let's take a look at that for a few moments this morning. The great faithfulness and the costly love giving us the assurance that Jesus will never betray or abandon us. First, in verses 43 through 52, the faithful care even in betrayal. The faithful care of Jesus even in betrayal. What we want to ask ourselves first is how would Jesus experience betrayal? In many ways, we'll see his betrayal is much like the experience of people who maybe have betrayed us. What did the betrayal of Jesus look like? First of all, it was, or there was a mangled trust. There's going to be three M words, a mangled trust, or we could say a broken trust in verses 43 through 44. Notice how Judas is described. While he was still speaking, Judas, one of the 12, that speaks of a personal relationship. That speaks of, of close friendship. He was one of the 12. And then one of the 12, Judas, suddenly arrived. And we'll get back to the mob in just a moment. But in verse 44, we read, he's the betrayer who 
did two things to show respect, outward respect to Jesus. The first thing that he did was he kissed Jesus. And then he called him rabbi. So there was this outward respect. That's the first part of betrayal. Things look normal. Things look uh, like the friendship still stands. And then the very next thing that we read after he uh, gave him a kiss and, uh, and he called him rabbi, he kissed him, and then the mob took hold of him. But the words of Jesus were, the one that I kissed, you're to arrest him and take him away under guard. So what do we read from one of the 12? Judas, the one who would go up and kiss him. Uh, outward respect, call him rabbi. He is the one whom he would kiss, or he is the one uh, that would kiss Jesus and betray Jesus because in his heart he hated Jesus. He acts on it. Judas purposefully led Jesus into those who would do him harm. That is a broken or a mangled trust. Not only was there a broken or mangled trust that was part of the betrayal of Jesus, but uh, there was also a misrepresentation of character. They misrepresented their character, the character of Jesus. First of all, a mob came with swords and with clubs. And Jesus' words understand, uh, with Jesus' words, we understand his humiliation and the shame that he would experience with that. He says uh, to, the, to the crowd with, with um, the, the swords and, and with the clubs, he says in verse 48, have you come out with swords and clubs? as if I were a criminal to capture me? I don't know if you've ever said those words, as if I were. Jesus is saying, when you come out with clubs and a sword and, and you, you grab hold of me, it's as if I were a criminal. And that's why he says in verse 49, every day I was, um, every day I was among you, teaching you in the temple and you didn't arrest me, but the scriptures must be fulfilled. You say that I'm a criminal and you come out with clubs and you, you grab hold of me and you arrest me. You misrepresent my character. He says, this is my character. Do you want to know who I am? I was out teaching in the temple courts. I wasn't leading a rebellion. I wasn't carrying a sword or a club. You could learn about me through my teaching. That's who I was as if I'm a criminal. You know, we know in betrayal, that is part of the betrayal. It's as if you are something that you are not. The humiliation of Jesus, the shame that he would be uh, claimed or represented among the criminals and not understood through his teaching in, uh, in the temple courts. So a mangled trust, a misrepresented character, and then finally a misunderstood and abandoned. He's misunderstood and abandoned by his closest friends. The moment was too heavy for the disciples, not out of hatred, but out of weakness. They would not stand with Jesus. And in many ways, when betrayal happens in our life, uh, the closest can also abandon us and misunderstand us. Jesus is misunderstood and abandoned in two ways. First of all, uh, one of his disciples, who we know from another gospel, pulled out his sword, uh, cut off the ear. Um, and if you know the rest of the story, uh, Jesus healed that man. But 
It's as if when that sword was drawn, Jesus says, have we been together this long and you still don't understand my purposes? I haven't come with a sword or I haven't come with a club. I've come with teaching. I've come in the power of the name of God. He was misunderstood by his closest friends. Not only was he misunderstood by his closest friends, he was abandoned by his closest friends. They all ran away. And then you have that little story stuck in the middle there saying that they actively ran away. And even when he was grabbed, he, 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 he ran um, and he got away, leaving his garment behind him so he'd leave naked. Jesus experienced a mangled, broken trust, a misrepresented character, and by those who were closest to him, a misunderstood and abandoned um, presence or lack of presence from his disciples. What can we learn from the betrayal of Jesus? I think first of all, we can understand, and, and maybe some uh, more keenly than others, what it is to be betrayed. Maybe you have been betrayed by a parent. Maybe you have been betrayed by a close friend. Maybe you've been betrayed by a uh, a spouse and you know what it is to just have that mangled trust things done to you that never should be done a misrepresented character that you are uh, who you are not and people say as if I and you say, you're, you're coming as, as if I were this but I'm not you saw me when I was out in public and you, you, you knew who I was that's not who I am or just being abandoned by those who are closest to you. The psalmist knows something of this in Psalm 55. If you struggle with this, Psalm 55 is a very personal psalm. I just want to read a few verses and then uh, see how he responds to that. He says, God, uh, listen to my prayer and do not hide from my plea for help. Verse 2, pay attention to me and answer me. I am restless and in turmoil with my complaint because of the enemy's words, because of the pressure of the wicked. For they bring down disaster on me and harass me in anger. My heart shudders within me. Terrors of death sweep over me. Fear and trembling grip me. Horror has overwhelmed me. I said, if only I had wings like a dove, I would fly away and find rest. How far away I would flee. I would stay in the wilderness. If you talk to people who have gone through betrayal or abandonment, those words are very personal. They're words which... Talk about years later being in turmoil. Uh, the words of their enemy, the words of the abandonment come back to them. And sometimes their heart shudders. Sometimes it's this almost like a panic attack. And there's fear and trembling that grip them. And they just say, I just want to fly away. And why did all of that take place? In verse 12 it says, Now it is not an enemy who insults me, otherwise I would bear it. It is not the foe who rises up against me, otherwise I could hide from it. But it is you, a man who is my peer, my companion and good friend. We used to have close friendship, fellowship. We walked with the crowd into the house of God. It's true, isn't it? That's the abandonment that sometimes children feel at the hands of their parents. How could someone so close betray them that way? The betrayal of Jesus helps us understand that Jesus understands your betrayal. It was personal and it was deep for Jesus. And it is personal and it is deep for you. And Jesus understands. 
In fact, in the very end of Psalm 55, he says, my friend acts violently against those at peace with him. He violates his covenant. His buttery words are smooth, but war is in his heart. His words are softer than oil, but they are drawn swords. Cast your burdens on the Lord and he will sustain you. Why can you cast your burdens on the Lord? Because Jesus knows betrayal. Jesus knows what it is to have broken trust, a misrepresented character, misunderstood and abandoned by those closest to you who do not believe you. He will never allow the righteous to be shaken. That's his promise to you. Not only can we understand what betrayal is, but Jesus was handed into the the hands of sinners and we see our sin. In other words, Jesus knows my weakness. To be handed or to be in the hands of sinners is to be abandoned by those closest. And in my weakness, my bent without God's grace is that I would abandon God. That is naturally what I offer Jesus, what the disciples offered. It is humbling to us. So not only do we know that Jesus knows our betrayal, not only do we know that we can easily betray Jesus, but I think finally in in understanding and trying to apply the betrayal of Jesus to our life, sometimes we take our struggle. I will struggle with betraying others or I will struggle with abandoning Jesus. And I wonder if that's the struggle that Jesus has in my life. In other words, I wonder if Jesus will ever abandon or betray me. Will Jesus abandon me? Will Jesus abandon his people? Will Jesus abandon uh, his church? And that's why when we are in Mark chapter 14, Jesus' words are so incredible. After he says, have you come at me as if I were a criminal? Don't you understand the teaching that I did in the temple courts? He says, but the scriptures must be fulfilled. The question could be asked that Cain asked, is Jesus your keeper? And unlike Cain, Jesus went to the cross to fulfill scripture. He rose again to fulfill scripture. And it is not the business of Jesus to be the betrayer. In the deepest moments of the darkest places of our lives, we are able to hang on to the words of Jesus so that scripture must be fulfilled because Jesus was in a deeper and darker place. In fact, the deepest and darkest of all places. And Jesus would, in his faithfulness, show us love And he would never run away from us so that we would not only never be condemned, but we would never be abandoned by God. Isaiah 43 verses 1 through 3 say this. Now, this is what the Lord God says, the one who created you, Jacob, and the one who formed you, Israel. Do not fear, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by your name. You are mine. He will not abandon you. I will be with you when you pass through the waters. And when you pass through the rivers, they will not overwhelm you. You will not be scorched when you walk through the fire and the flame will not burn you. And even if part of the waters or the flame is abandonment or betrayal by those who are closest to you, God will sustain you. He says, for I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel and your Savior. Is Jesus your keeper? He is the one who will not abandon you. He is the one who will not betray you. He is the one who is faithful in his care for you. So if that is the betrayal of Jesus, then what happens when Jesus 
is in the hands of sinners. And that's verses 53 through 65. So we have seen, first of all, the faithful love of Jesus even in betrayal. And then we see the costly love of Jesus even in the hands of sinners. The costly love of Jesus even in the hands of sinners. Now you may remember uh, Psalm 2. Psalm 2 is a psalm where the nations rage against God. And we read that God laughs at their puny attempts of rebellion. But now the tables have turned. Jesus is, in fact, in the hands of sinners. Jesus stands before the Sanhedrin, the supreme court of the Jews. There was no higher court, higher Jewish court than this. And here we once again see the humiliation of Jesus. Do you say that I'm a criminal? Was part of his humiliation. But being before this court is also part of his shame and humiliation. You may remember Job, a righteous man, when he was asked the question because he was calling for courtroom time with God. And so the first words that come out of God are God's voice are, who darkens my counsel with these ignorant words? Imagine that, standing before God and God says, who darkens my counsel? Now Jesus stands before the darkened council, and he's silent. This is the humiliation and shame of Jesus. It's interesting when we think of uh, Jesus in the hands of sinners, and, and what, would sinners, what, would, what would sinners do when they had Jesus in their hands, when they had Jesus in their possession? You know, if Jesus, as Jesus, God came down from heaven, what would they do with this man God? We see that there's three things. This is the humiliation and shame of Jesus, Jesus being in the hands of sinners. First of all, they questioned Jesus. We just talked about Job. God's answer was, who darkens my counsel? The fact that they would even question Jesus. God becomes a man just to be questioned. Interestingly, Jesus remains silent. Job, a righteous man, a man who loved God, wanted an audience from God, and God's first words to Job are, who is this who darkens my counsel? They darkened the counsel of Jesus by questioning who Jesus was and why Jesus had come, and yet he remained silent. Not only do they question Jesus, but they falsely accuse Jesus in verses 55 through 59. It's, it's actually remarkable uh, what they try and throw at Jesus. In verse 55, the Supreme Court, they were looking for testimony against Jesus to put him to death. In other words, this was, this was far from a fair trial. It was not impartial. They were not looking for truth. They were looking to put Jesus to death. They were deliberately looking for some wrong in order that they could put Jesus to death. And then when the testimony started coming out, and the most that they could say, I mean, such was the righteous life of Jesus that the most they could say is what Jesus actually said, and they, um, what Jesus actually said, they couldn't even agree on it. The testimonies wouldn't even agree. What, what, would, what could they throw at Jesus? It wasn't that he was a liar or a murderer or an adulterer or anything like that. They say, well, we heard him say, I will destroy this temple with, made with human hands, and in three days I will build another not made by hands. And yet even on this, their testimony could not even agree. They questioned Jesus. They falsely accused Jesus. They deliberately looked for wrong and, and couldn't find anything. And then interesting, interestingly, the last part is that they would hate him because of who he is or for who he is. 
it seems like the high priest finally uh, stood up and, and, and he was just done. And he asked the question, don't you have any answer to what these men are testifying against you? But Jesus kept silent. He didn't answer. And again, the high priest questioned him. Are you the Messiah, the son of the blessed one? And Jesus answers, I am. In fact, Jesus says, I am. But he even says more. He says, you don't even understand half the greatness that's going on here. Jesus may be in the hands of, of the sinner. But it is in the hands of sinner that we see the greatness of God. He says, the son of man seated at the right hand of power and coming with the clouds of heaven. That's Old Testament language of Jesus is God and Jesus will come to judge. Are you the Messiah, the son of the blessed one? Jesus will answer and talk about his greatness, but they would hate him for that. And so they say to him, we have heard enough. We've heard the blasphemy. What is your decision? And they all condemned him as deserving of death. That is what happened to Jesus in the hands of sinners, but it was a costly love. As we wrap this up, I just want to talk about Jesus in the hands of sinners and then sinners in the hands of Jesus. When we have, what we have just seen is Jesus in the hands of sinners, we've actually seen a very clear picture of our sinful heart and really the path of the sinful heart as we interact with Jesus. This is our sin. This is the world's sin. This is what the world would do if they had God in their hands, and this is what the world does, and this is what our hearts in their natural state will do when we interact with Jesus. We will first of all question Jesus as if we had a right to question Jesus, the creator of the heavens and the earth, the galaxies, the creator of the, the intimate aspects of the earth, the, the parts that we will never see and how he sustains life even though we're a rebellious generation. And we come as if we're the judge and, and Jesus has to answer us and, and we have to understand Jesus because we want Jesus to be a certain way. That's why they were angry with Jesus it wasn't their Jesus, but Jesus was who he was, and they could not accept his teaching in front of the temple courts. And that's the first path of the sinner. We, you know, we, we pretend this politeness, but really what we're saying is, uh, Jesus, we're, we've come here to question you. And what Jesus does is he comes to question us. Are you right with God? Are you holy? Are you righteous as God is righteous? And then we move on to the next thing, and that is we begin to falsely accuse Jesus. It's remarkable that the only thing that they could say is, well, Jesus would say that uh, he would destroy the temple in three days, and it would be raised. And, and that would actually be, uh, that would be fulfilled in, in three days. So what we do is we begin to falsely accuse Jesus as if Jesus was a criminal. And then finally, we see that Jesus is who he says he is. But we hate him for who he says he is. Jesus would very clearly say, I am. He could not be more clear. And in fact, he could not be more clear by saying, 
Um, and you will see the Son of Man seated at the right hand of power and coming with the clouds of heaven. And yet that's why they hated him. Jesus claimed to be the God-man, and they hated him for it. And that is the path of the sinner. He would deliver himself into the hands of sinners, and they would pour out their full rage, give full vent to their hatred of God when he was in their hands. In fact, in Acts chapter 2, verse 23, says, or it says, you used lawless, wicked people to nail him to the cross and kill him. They performed wickedness to Jesus. That is Jesus in the hands of sinners. And if you are not a believer today, then this is where you stand. It actually becomes a very impolite, impolite place. It becomes a very serious place to know that even to question Jesus as if, he deser- as if we deserved his answers so that we could reshape him into the God that we like or that we would begin to falsely accuse him. What do you falsely accuse him of? That he has done so wrong. That he would come to forgive your sin, die on the cross, be raised to give you everlasting life and pour out his love on you? Is that, is that what is so wrong with Jesus? And then when we hear the truth of Jesus, we get angry. And we may not be able to physically lay our hands on Jesus, but we will just reject it and turn away from it. But the betrayal... And Jesus in the hands of sinners calls you to come to him. Because if that is Jesus in the hands of a sinner, what, is, what are sinners in the hands of Jesus? I love how this all ends. Do you ever ask why Jesus was silent? You see, sinners in the hands of Jesus, not only will he be faithful, not only will he not betray us or abandon us, but he loved us with a costly love. I think Jesus was silent because of Job. The, the, same, the same answer that God gave to Job is this, that's the silence of Jesus. And Jesus is basically saying, who darkens my counsel with these false accusations? But what's amazing is when he speaks, he speaks when he's been rightly identified. He says, are you, the chief priest says, are you the Messiah? And Jesus unashamedly, unashamedly stands up and says, I am. And he says to the chief priest, you don't even know. You don't even know what you're saying. It is way more glorious than that. It is way more powerful than that. Before you is not only the Son of Man, but he is the Son of God in human form. And he is going to the cross to suffer a costly love at the hands of his Father. This court is nothing. I will stand before the heavenly court, and I will take the sins of my people, and I will bear their cost because of my deep love. And one day I will return and judge all the living and all the dead. When he was asked a question, he was truthful. He did not shrink back because he was unashamed of you and he was unashamed of his mission and he was unashamed of his father. He is the Messiah and he is great. And that's why sinners in the hands of Jesus, he lets us know with that answer what is to be, what it is to be safe in his hands. 
He will take our judgment so that we will be set free. So you will say, and I will say, when he comes back as judge, you will say, but Jesus went to be judged by God on the cross. And he came to not only be judged, but to pay for my sins and to forgive my sins so that when Jesus comes back as judge, the judgment is done. There is no judgment on the people of God. And we will go into eternal glory. Jesus is faithful in life and in death, in health and in sickness. He is faithful to us in all circumstances, including his return when he will come and we will go into his presence for all eternity. There is no more darkness. Darkness has been defeated. So Jesus in the hands of sinners will suffer. Sinners in the hands of Jesus will be saved. Come into the hands of Jesus today. I'd just like to say one final word. It's in times like this when we can't be together. When you're maybe with others or when you're sitting at home, uh, we can't be together. It is also in times like this when our nation and our hearts can be filled with worry, anxiety, and fear for ourselves. Maybe you're concerned for a loved one. You can be concerned for our nation and praying for our nation. And you say, what do I do during these times of, of uh, when, when things are being shut down and when there's, there's worry and there's panic? I think that's why we have this amazing story in front of us today. As a believer, do you know that you are in the hands of Jesus? He won't abandon you. He won't betray you. He is there with you. And not only will he not abandon you and not betray you, that he is faithful in life or death, whether someone is healthy or sick, whether someone is in, in poverty or has, has wealth, his love will not betray you. And his love is a powerful love. His love is a vast love. And his return will be awesome. And knowing that you are in the hands of God, both today and tomorrow and in the days to come and Lord willing, the years to come. And that he will never abandon you, but give you the strength and give you the strength not to abandon him and to experience his, his faithful and costly love daily allows us to rest in his goodness. And that's our prayer for you during this time. And maybe it's something that you can talk with your family about or your friends about and say, as, as I have been abandoned, or as, as Jesus was abandoned, and as Jesus was, uh, as Jesus was in the hands of sinners, but he loved us, how can we love others around us? How can I live out a costly love even during these times? Let's bow in a word of prayer. Father God, you were betrayed. Your son was betrayed. And yet, in his betrayal, he was one who deeply cared for us. And then we see that sinners darken the counsel of Jesus. 
but in his humanity he remained silent. But then he would speak of his costly love and of his final return because he would go through the cross and he would die for our sins. And so in these days we pray that we might know that we are in the hands of Jesus. And to be in the hands of Jesus means we will never be abandoned or betrayed. To be in the hands of Jesus means that we know with increasing faith that we are loved deeply with a costly love. And to be in the hands of Jesus excites us to love others deeply as well. So Father, protect us, keep us, remind us that we're in the hands of Jesus. And then may we go forward with joy and peace. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Thank you for joining us this morning, and or not for me, it's this morning. Uh, thank you for joining us uh, today, and uh, please know that we do want to stay in touch with you this coming week. Uh, either Tuesday or Wednesday, we're going to be putting out a devotional uh, and uh, just seeking to uh, find encouragement together in the gospel. And uh, again, if you um, are sick or if you would just like to talk uh, with someone on staff um, or one of the elders, uh, we, we want to talk with you. Uh, we want to be an encouragement to you, and we want you to know uh, that you are not alone during this time. So whatever the waters you may be traveling through or whatever the flames you may be traveling through, we have the Holy One of Israel with us, and he is our Savior. So we praise him.